0: Welcome to the Bag Drop Untold Stories in Golf. I'm your host and co founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. Today, we have a very special guest a creator, an entrepreneur, an ambassador to our golf society, and the founder of Journeyman Distillery, Bill Welter. Many of you may be familiar with Journeyman Distillery and their award winning spirits that come out of Three Oaks, Michigan, but my guess is that many of you don't know the story of its founder, Bill. His journey is one of grit, sacrifice, and perseverance that unexpectedly took a turn while washing dishes in the back kitchen of a bar in St. Andrews, Scotland. This, is, this was one of my favorite conversations of the podcast season, not just because of Bill and his approach to golf, business, and life, but it ties together so many other conversations I've had with other guests, and other members like you out on the golf course. If you're listening to this show and you're thinking, man, I'd like to meet this guy, I have a treat for you. Journeyman Distillery is the official partner of this year's summer medal at Sam Valley and Lasonia. And I checked the app this morning and there is one, yes, one spot left for this summer staple. That spot could be yours and you should absolutely come hang out with Bill, his wife, Joanna, myself, and other fellow members of New Club in Wisconsin at the end of this month. We'll be sampling some of the journeyman spirits, I'm sure my favorite of which, and maybe the most fitting for our summer medal is the silver cross, a name that hails from the medal given out in the early days of the British Open. This medal would later come to symbolize friendship, tradition, camaraderie, and spirited competition. That sounds a whole lot like new club. In that same spirit, journeyman has created a tradition they call four grains for golf donating 1% of all sales from Silvercross Whiskey back to various golf charities, organizations that teach kids the game of golf, and instill in them its core values. Kids play free at Welter's Folly, a 30,000 square foot real grass putting green you're going to hear a little bit more about on this show. And Journeyman, who has been distilling artists and spirits for a decade in their historic Featherbone factory located in one-stop town of three oaks michigan is just around the corner from chicago and an easy place to pop in and and hang out they are grain to bottle produced certified organic kosher and gluten-free award winning whiskeys and you can check them out and their full portfolio of spirits at journeymandistillery.com. so without further ado here's bill bill welter Welcome to The backdrop. (laughs) Thanks so much for
1: having me, Matt. This is uh, is something I've been looking forward to. Uh, You've got a great program, and and I'm thrilled to have a chance to be on it with you.
0: It's only fair that we give you a crack at this show. Um, Some of your (laughs) dearest friends, I I believe, have have been guests on this show. Um, Craig Haltom, and uh, most recently, Greg Ramsey of Tasmania. Uh, the Tasmanian Devil, and uh, I just wanted to, to get it out of the way off the top of the show. Are there any grievances that you'd like to air out with those guys from from their appearances on this this podcast?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that they still claim to call me a friend after knowing uh, Greg now for over 20 years, and and Craig Haltum and I uh, went to to high school together and played played high school golf on the same team, so in some ways, I guess I'm starting to feel, feel a bit old. Uh, I've got friends that go back, you know, 25, 30 years now. So it's kind of,
0: kind of crazy. I guess that's saying something It as a golf geek, you know, as a Chicago land golf geek, it's so funny to me is that like, you, you're, you're seeking out the best golf and you, you get in the car and you drive up and check out this What's all this talk about this place called Lasonia. And you find out that, uh, you know, this Oliphant management group is, is doing something and you get the name Craig Holtom. And then I followed him around for a while. And I see that you know, he's building this place called Lock Lavelle, and this place is pretty cool. And then, you know, you, you go over to your side of the, the Chicagoland world and you see this wild 30,000 30, foot square putting green. And you're like, okay, <laughs> who is this guy? And, and it's just, uh, you know, the golf world becomes a small world. And, and, uh, anyone that's going to do what you did with that Welter's Folly, uh, putting green, you know, they're golf. So I I don't know if you know this story, Bill, but, um, when I first came to to journeyman, I was with some buddies and, and, uh, my now wife and I looked out the window. I didn't even know you guys had had that putting green. I had no idea. (laughs) And and I looked out the window and I, I turned to our waitress and I said, I, is your owner around? What is that?
1: (laughs) I I do. I do remember that. I remember meeting you for the first time.
0: Yeah. I just said at the time, I was like, I got to meet this guy. He's got to have a story. No one would ever have the guts to build something like that. So,
1: (laughs) well, and that's the amazing thing about golf and what I've found about the sport and maybe why it's more unique than, than any other, in my opinion is that these connections you make, you know, you're, you're at some restaurant or a distillery or whatever, and, and you look out the back window and there's a putting green. And then, and then you have, you make these connections and it seems like in golf, the connections are significant and, and authentic. And, and you immediately join this fraternity, if you will, of, of people that love the game that travel maybe locally or statewide or nationwide or even worldwide. And there's this excitement. And uh, I mean, it's what, it's what you're all about. It's what, what, uh, your organization is all about and and, and in many ways it's what what we're all about with journeymen and kind of creating that experience that you won't forget
0: yeah the um, let's go let's go to Scotland you know uh, yeah. that's another thing we share right is if you are that that art and golfer it seems like there's a a honing beacon that brings everybody to st Andrews um, you were fortunate to be there young so what was what was that time like for, for you in Scotland?
1: Well, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I, I played high school golf and and then was fortunate enough to, to go to school uh, and, and play college golf at Missouri state university as a division one golf program. And I spent four years doing that. And, and I was very fortunate that um, in 1995, when I graduated from high school, my, my dad, uh, who, who's uh, a great golfer in his own right and, and a lover of the game and, and has, has been a great ambassador for golf, um, he, he took me over to Scotland for five days. And uh, so we get there, we show up at North Berwick. And I remember my dad loves to tell the story. Basically, on the first fairway, I said to my dad, I'm like, dad, this whole golf course is ground under repair. <laughs> You know, I'd come from America where everything's lush and green and the fairways are perfect. And I'm looking around and I'm like, it's all tight, burned out lies. Now, today, like, I love that golf. Like, I don't want to play anything but firm and fast. But looking back on that, I was like, holy cow, this, this entire golf course is burned out. Um, and, and, you know, right then and there, I was kind of like, you know, this is a different world, uh, So really on that trip, St. Andrews was our last round. It was the old course. I love history. Journeyman here in Three Oaks is in, uh, an old 1800s factory building, uh, that we renovated. We brought it back to life. We're telling the story of the building here. History is really important to me. Uh, so all along on that trip, I was really looking forward to to playing the old course. And finally we got there and, um, You know, honestly, I, I didn't play very well on that trip and I didn't get Scottish golf at first. And, um, and, and then the old course I played well, I think I shot 75 and, 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 you know, fell in love with St. Andrews fell in love with the golf course there and just said, you know, I walked off that course and I said, if I ever got a chance again to come back here, I'd do it in a heartbeat. So I graduated from, from Missouri state in 2000. And I applied for a British work visa and uh, got the visa, thankfully, and, and basically kind of, you know, got on an airplane, uh, flew over to Edinburgh and uh, took a train to Lukers, uh, got off. I think I took a cab to, to, to St. Andrews. I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have anything organized, and uh, it was back in the day when i you use payphones to call people. I mean, it's hard to imagine, honestly. And uh, I got into town. I remember do, calling do my to dad. Can you explain
0: what a payphone is for our listeners? <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. you put coins in, and, and it tells you, you know, you got this much time left, and you put more coins in. <laughs>
0: where, where, where do you get those coins? I don't even know where those coins are anymore.
1: <laughs> it's hard to imagine honestly I, I remember that payphone though it was right by the, the little museum there off the 18th green of of the old course and and it was you know a glass box uh uh payphone maybe you've seen it maybe yeah, it's still there yeah. yeah uh so I called my dad from there and I'm like I made it um, I'm in St. Andrews uh and 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 one of the first you know one of my first goals was to to get a job right away and uh you know again, internet wasn't really a thing. Email was just kind of, you know, burgeoning. And, and so I went to some job placement place on South street. It's just a little walk in and, and they had some jobs posted. One of them was for a dishwasher at the old course hotel on the 17th on the, on the corner of the 17th hole, of the old course. So I, 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 I kind of, you know, sucked up my pride and, and, Humbled myself and and said, "Well, I'm a, I'm going to get a job as a dishwasher." And uh, I did. I I walked in the door. I got the job. Um, I had to wear a green jumpsuit. It was like maybe like I was caddying at, at Augusta or something. Um, and and I worked with a a young Scottish guy. I was 23 years old, I think, 22, 23, and, and this kid was 16. His name was Alistair. and Alister had basically like. Um, no exaggeration, he had like green, almost like moss-like texture to his teeth, and and I couldn't understand him. And he and I were working side by side. Well, about two or three days into that job, a guy named Greg Ramsey brings some plates around the corner to the to the dish pit, and and he and as as Greg is, he's an extremely outgoing, friendly wonderful person, uh, outgoing, uh, in- intelligent as they come. And, and he, and he basically says, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> and he said, what are you doing here? Washing dishes. <laughs> and I said, I probably said, I don't know. Uh, but he says, you know, I've, I've got a, a friend of mine's the, the GM of the Westport restaurant on South street. And they're looking for for servers, and I said, "Well, I've never done that before." And he said, "Well, why don't why don't I put you in touch and 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 you should get a job over there." And I think Greg Ramsey, honestly, that that kind of sums everything up. I think honestly, in in some shape or form, Greg has been looking out for me for the last twenty one years, and and I think that's the type of guy he is. I think he's looking out for a lot of people, um, and he's and and it's not about Greg; it's about you know, doing something good or, or, or doing something great in, in many of the projects that he's done. Long story short, uh, I got the job as a waiter. That was one of my first forays into hospitality, which was a huge step for me. I learned a lot about restaurant and I learned that I really enjoyed hospitality. And that was something that I had never worked in before. So I I think honestly, in some ways I look back at that experience and 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 maybe it's a a life lesson for kids today and, and and that is you know you're not too good to go wash dishes. Um, you're not too good uh, to 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 take those first steps and in, in doing something in life and And I suppose in some ways, where I am today with Journeyman started with washing dishes in st andrews and and frankly i'm I'm proud that I did it. Uh, it almost immediately led to better things. And um, Greg and I became great friends. Uh, we ended up sharing a a flat in St. Andrews for the better part of a year. Uh, and and as I think you know, Greg basically was over there working as a, a barman uh, at the at the uh, at the the Road Hole Bar there, trying to pitch the idea of what would become Barn Google Dunes. To basically any businessman or CEO or or frankly anyone who would listen that walked into the into the, into the hotel there, and 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 that that was also eye opening for me as well. In that, here was a guy who was 22 years old and and really had his stuff together. Like he was going to build a a world class golf course in Tasmania, and and I look back on that now and think. And I I thought of Ben too, honestly, I thought, what a nut. (laughs) I remember my dad had come to visit me and Greg, he actually drove Greg to the airport the day he left Scotland. And I remember my dad likes to tell this story as well, that he said something almost kind of, you know, my dad's a very nice guy and and he and Greg are, are good friends as well. But he said something along the lines, like as he left the car, well, good luck to you. (laughs) <laughs> like there's no way in hell you're building a golf course but
0: you're yeah, keep, you're a dreamer keep dreaming it kid that's uh that's cute <laughs>
1: yeah so I mean and and then obviously you know um living in Scotland I I went over there to kind of learn more about the history of the game and 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 in some ways kind of why I played it and, and kind of to see the start of, of where it all began um you know I, I I got there and, and what I found and didn't know actually was that St. Andrews was a, a college town. And, and I went over there not knowing that at all, frankly, I was just going over there because the old course was there in the history. Uh, so I, I made some great friends along the way. Um, I, um, and, and through, through that process, uh, became well informed of Scotland's other, uh, great commodity and, Uh, outside of golf, which is, which is whiskey. Uh, So, uh, you know, living in St. Andrews, I learned, um, you know, kind of in in America, at least my college experiences that, you know, alcohol is more of a vehicle to kind of, you know, have a party or, 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 you know, get drunk. And then, you know, not, not the, the Scots don't get drunk. Trust me, they do, but, um, they, they seem to have a a greater reverence for whiskey, a greater appreciation. It was, you know, part of the, the fabric of their society, really it's, you know, part of their lifeblood. And I think I left St. Andrews really not knowing anything about distilling, uh, but just just kind of, you know, with a really great appreciation of the history of whiskey, um, the, the, the important role that it played in, in, in their, um, in, in their culture. And, and I came back with just, you know, this, just a better understanding of it and, but not really ever thinking honestly uh, that, that I'd ever be in the whiskey business.
0: There's so much, um, to your story that is, is fascinating for me and, and, and relatable, um, you know the, the step of going to scotland in the beginning i mean i know you're the son of a banker and your family business yeah. is banking to to me That's it right. doesn't get much more risk averse than a banker you know so yeah. when you told when you told your dad and your family hey guys i'm going to pack it up and get a british work visa and i'm headed to st andrews what what did everybody say
1: um I mean, I I know for me, I was I was even though I said after walking out the 18th and '95, I'd love to come back here, it was true. But when it came down to it, and I actually got that work visa, I was kind of like, "Holy shit, am I really gonna do this? Am I, you know?" Because I was kind of a a you know, as as many of us are, you know, uh, I suppose sheltered in in that, you know, I I I hadn't been outside the U.S. with the exception of that one trip, I. I didn't know anyone over in St Andrews and and I suppose it was a leap of faith uh, to 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 kind of do that and I I you know I I've, I've always been a big fan of Bobby Jones and, and prior to that and 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 Bobby Jones was famous for having saying having said that you know he had took took away all of his experiences in life except for those in St Andrews that he would have lived a, a full and, and happy life and i think that was in some ways that bobby jones quote was kind of a, a driving a driving factor for me but um you know i think my family honestly i think my dad wanted me to come work in the family business and and i know that that he's kind of an old school even though he loves golf and and he loves Scotland, I think, yeah, I think he would have preferred maybe that I, that I just went to work because that's kind of the culture, right. From, you know, the 1950s mentality of, you know, and, and I think he, he, he perhaps viewed that as kind of uh, I'll use the term folly. Uh, But I think for me, obviously, I mean, I tie, everything from the point that i went to scotland to to where we are today i can draw a connecting line to scotland and 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 frankly a lot of it has to do with having met greg and um you know i i think in some ways i learned more in that 18 months in scotland than i did in 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 the entire time that i was in college i just you know you you learn to find a job you learn you know how to leave a job you learn how to meet friends and, 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 and find relationships and, and, and do things that, that maybe you took for granted.
0: Yeah. Your, uh, your story about the, the golf, I loved, uh, you mentioned Bobby Jones and how, you know, many know he walked off the 11th hole at, uh, of yes. course pissed off about, yeah about how it's it, right. it played and and uh you called North Barrack ground under repair. Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> sitting in a One Golf Place if you remember that. Yeah, uh, right right, right to, on the corner, right next to Dun vegans. I remember sitting there after my first round in the old course. Uh I I shot a 74. It rained 13 different times and I had <laughs> I took 3 shots in the road hole bunker. So I, I had it going. I was a couple under par there. I was there. And, and I remember sitting in the pub and kind of you know talking some shit about the yeah. you know, old course and just saying like, <laughs> you know, I don't understand what the like I really said some things that I look back on. It's blasphemy to me to me now. Yeah. And, yeah. and sure enough, I went out, played it totally differently, in easier condition, shot an 82 and, and just it was scratching my head and, and started to realize the endless possibilities. Over there, yeah. and how they treat golf, how you interact with golf, and um, and it just it was an awakening, and and I I yeah. love talking to folks like yourself that, um, you know, took that awakening and and turned it into a, a life, a career. Uh, it's it's not well, that, and real. you did as well. Yeah, it's it's fun to uh, to reflect on that stuff. Was there other, obviously meeting Greg Ramsey? What a what a stroke of luck! Uh, yeah, and and.
1: It was, but I think it was in the stars, right? I think St. Andrews is, is magic. And I, I mean that it's, it's, there's something about it. There's, there's something truly, you know, you, you can read golf in the kingdom and, and, and I did read it while I was there and there's something about that place. There's something very special about St. Andrews and, 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 and for your listeners, I mean, you know, you gotta go, you've, you've all been talking about it. If you haven't made it, you know, do it. You gotta, you gotta do it. I, I I'll, I'll tell one other story. I have a, a great friend in golf outside of, of Greg and Craig and he's, his name is Ben lives and, and, and so one day I, I turned up on the first tee of the old course and um, there were two, um, two college students on the, on the first tee. And, 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 you know, if, if you have kind of the, the local pass or whatever, they just kind of pair you up and, and you go and, I showed up and, uh, Ben, um, Ben was there and I hadn't met him. This is the first time meeting him. And, and he was really into golf and, and, but he was, you know, kind of a guy that shot around, you know, 90 to a hundred and wanted to get better. Um, so, so we kind of tee it up and, and, um, you know, in St. Andrews, uh, it does rain, as you mentioned, 13 different times uh, in one round, but um, a lot of times it's like hit or miss or it, it can be, you know, kind of sparse or lighter. Um, on this occasion, we tee off on the first hole and and it's an absolute uh, Florida-like deluge by the second tee. And, you know, you never, in Scotland, you never give up You, you no matter what you, you push on. So I think we played number two and just like Florida, like rain, then, then we get to three and we're all just soaked to the bone. Like, well, we're not quitting, you know, we're going to three, we play three. I think by the end of three, it was clear that it wasn't letting up and it was just like, like literally like, you know, those Florida tropical storms. And so we go, look, the, the jigger in is, a, you know, 200 yards that way. Um, why don't we go and, and have a couple of, of heights? So, we, we, we hoof over to the jigger and we sit down and I think, you know, four or five late, uh, four or five hours later and three or four beers, Ben and I were, we're great friends. And, and, and he's another guy who, you know, I walk away with a, another 20 year friendship and, and, and a guy who, who now today has a, a a low single digit handicap. And, 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 and he likes to credit, credit me for, um, kind of pushing him along, but also, you know, it's always good uh, to to play with better players when when you're trying to improve.
0: And another ambassador of the Golf Society, we got to get going out in the Bay Area. Yeah, that. he's part of the new club. He's yeah. uh, he's been awesome. You talk about uh, I had a question down about uh, drinking culture because you you already touched on it with the UK, and you know, I, I think about. Uh, personally, my relationship to golf and my relationship to drinking were um, transformed in my time over in Ireland, more so yeah. than Scotland, probably. But uh, there, there was this, you know, you, you said it, the college drinking life, you drink to party yeah. and, yeah. and, and, you know, I was a partier and I, I liked yeah. to, to binge drink. And um, I was also yeah. not un, unrealizing that I was binging my golf I I was really, I had kind of a a more toxic relationship with golf than I thought. I worried about my score. I, I constantly, you know, put all my value into that. And uh, and so at the same time over there, I started to realize that there was this healthier balance of of, um, both. And, and for, for what I find so interesting is that golf and and drinking have been intertwined since the beginning of time. Um, But what I still find as uh, a pet peeve is, is how many golfers um, still go this route of you know grabbing twelve beers for eighteen holes or uh, yeah just just the, the excess right and I wanted to get your thoughts on just what is the relationship between those two and, and what what did you learn from the time in Scotland and because I, I, I feel it at at journeyman. You know, I feel, yeah. like, but what, what, what are you guys conscious about with drinking culture? Um, and how does it yeah. tie to golf?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think one going back to your point about scoring, I mean, in, in Scotland, um, you know, stroke play is almost non-existent. It's, it's, uh, almost entirely, you know, matches. And, and I think, you know, you look back at those old golf courses and you think, gosh, these guys were playing with woods uh, you know, wood, woods, wood shafts, uh, old, you know, featheries and the, and the holes 400 yards long and you're, you know, on a windy day with, with modern day equipment, you're thinking this is two strong shots. And these guys are playing with, uh, antiquated uh, equipment and it's because they weren't thinking of, of, you know, what, what their score was going to be. They're just trying to beat the guy that they're playing against. So that is a, a huge difference. And I, I, I suppose in some ways, I mean, basically the golf cart uh, probably maybe had a, a greater role in, in drinking on the golf course than anything, because uh, you know, if, if, if you're over there, you know, golf carts are pretty much non-existent. They call them the buggies. And um, you know, I think it'd probably be hard to get a, to, to lug a case of, of beer around, uh, while you're, while you're hoofing your own clubs around, around the golf course in Scotland. And, uh, I, I think that they take the game very seriously. Uh, and, and I suppose in many ways, it's, it's probably hard to consider, perhaps consider yourself serious about the game. If, 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 you know, if you're, you're potentially drinking to excess. So I, I think, you know, I think like with whiskey and especially with golf in Scotland, that there's an incredible appreciation and, and just reverence for the game and respect for it. Uh, and, and I think that's probably maybe where things differ here in the U.S. a little bit where, and, you know, right or wrong, uh, people are, um, you know, if they want to have a good time and, and, and drinking and golfing is, is their thing, then, the, then so be it. I think, you know, it, it's just a, a, a different way of life over here.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, my, my example I use is uh, if we did a a college qualifier or here in the States, when I played at at University of Akron, Ohio, we would, uh, you know, we'd all compete and, and we'd be hyper-focused on our score. And then half of us would be depressed. Half of us would be super happy. The half that were super happy would go out and get shit-faced, go to the bar, you know, and, and party our faces off that night. And the other ones would just could probably do the same thing playing beer pong at home. Whereas when I got uh, pulled into the the Irish golf scene and these uh, universities that I was playing with, there was um, same competition wanted to beat you, but you're beating a person head to head. And as soon as that match was over, it was an embrace and a reflection on a really great match. and And then you share a pint. And you you do it right there, right then, and or or, yep. or sh- share a glass of scotch, and th- and these guys are twenty, you know, twenty two, and and they party. Don't get me wrong, like there's still that that element that, that happens sometimes. But as it related to my golf, I was it just so eye opening that um, man, these guys were were so competitive, more competitive than I've ever been around. But then as soon as that match ended, it was that share a drink. And it was the tradition yeah. of it. It was that that's what binded the whole match was when you sat down with a scotch or a whiskey or a, or a pint and you cheers and you compliment each other and you just share sure. that. That's what it was. And so I call it the post round hang today for new club. And um, it, it's another reason why you got to play fast because – if you have a five hour round, you're certainly not going to have a, an hour. <laughs> you're for, missing a drink. You're missing a drink. So play that round in in three and a half or three forty-five. that and enjoy that one drink. And, and uh, I just don't think people see it that way yet in the States.
1: Yeah. I think for me, I, it, I think it has more to do with my dad. You know, he, he took the game very seriously. He'd never drank on the golf course. And honestly, I look back now and, and, you know, that's one of the better things that I've done for myself. You know, you know you've got this four or five hour period, you're going out and, and you're going to enjoy nature and, and, and compete. And, and, uh, and I think it's been a benefit to me, certainly over the long run to, to have taken the game a little bit more seriously, but, uh, certainly today though, I mean, uh, as I've focused more on my family and the business, um, and golf has become more of something that, you know, I'm lucky, if, if I can get out once, once a week, or even once every two weeks, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's become less serious for me. And uh, especially, you know, if your skills decline, uh, in my case, at least, you know, it's hard to take the game seriously. And you try not to beat yourself up about it, but well, you know, I'm really only playing every two weeks. Why am I expecting to, to shoot 72 or something? So, I mean, it, and 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 the post round stuff is is something you enjoy now more maybe more than than before so and it's and the game has become more social it's become more about you know kind of friendships and 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 we still try and get together with my buddies at least once a year and and do kind of a rider cup thing so uh yeah it's it's a, a great source of enjoyment for me when I get to do it
0: I want to dive into your entrepreneurial journey a little bit more, the journey of journeymen, if you will. So you gave us a great background to the inspiration to it, you know, your time in, in Scotland. Um, I'd love to hear more about the steps you took to start a distillery. You know, I mean, yeah. Uh, stateside, obviously things are probably very different, different than in the UK, but what, um, when did you first flirt with the idea of starting your own business or your own distillery? And uh, did you act on it? Did you let it fester for a little while? Take us through that.
1: Um, I, th- I think a lot of my um, beliefs around business are stem from, you know, having a, a grandfather and a father who, who were businessmen. And, and um, you know, my dad certainly believed very strongly in the idea of, of the benefits of, of having a business and, and, you know, having a focus, uh, providing, um, you know, an income for yourself and your family and, and just kind of the benefits of, 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 of business ownership benefits to the community, um, employment of, of local people. And, um, I know I, you know, in all, I was thinking about this the other day and all the years that I've, uh, you know, talked with my dad about business. I've, I've never heard him once say anything about you know money and and I, I think his focus was always on you know create a quality product, quality service, uh, and 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 good things will will happen from that. Um, so, my my ambition was to, to be the third generation in in our family business, and and unfortunately, um, after having worked in the business for for five years but really grown up in it since i was a kid because my dad ran the business uh, you know it's kind of entrepreneurship by osmosis in some ways uh the family business was really unexpectedly sold uh in 2007 and at that point in time and, and a lot of people ask me why why the name journeyman and and for me i was in my early 30s um and committed to one path with, with, the, with the family business and, and really kind of, frankly, had that, um, had that kind of that rug pulled out from, from underneath me and, and I was left uh, while a lot of my friends and family were kind of off on their careers, if you will, and, and here I was having to start over uh, at what felt like a later time in life. And uh, so in some ways I had to reinvent myself. And so I began kind of uh, trying to decide where, where I wanted to go with, with, with my life and with the business. And, and actually, I decided that I wanted to get into the restaurant business. And, and in 2007, I got a job work, working in, in Chicago in the hospitality industry. And, and I spent three years doing that. And frankly, I walked away from it saying, no, I don't, I don't want to be in the restaurant business. <laughs> it just seemed like too many moving parts, too many things had to go right. The margins were thin. You know, it seemed like you saw restaurants open that were uh, in great locations with a great concept. And six months later, they were closed. It just seemed like a high risk industry. Uh, so I, I, I said, you know what, uh, I, I want to circle back with, with Greg, Greg Ramsey. And, and so Greg's story uh, briefly, he, he, he did end up building one of the world's great golf courses in Tasmania. And, and frankly, Greg is, um, you know, he, he, he's just the guy that is basically the ambassador of Tasmania. Uh, I think he's single. I'm not exaggerating. He single handedly created an economy in Tasmania, uh, with, with his vision. Um, and, and, you you can't give the guy enough credit for what for what he did. He built Barn Google Dunes. Well, his next project as a serial entrepreneur was he he worked with a, a local businessman to to open a, a small distillery. A lot of these distilleries around the world were uh were were beginning to open on the backs of legislation change. And in Australia, they changed the laws to allow for craft distilling. And Greg um, was a part of opening uh, one of the first ones in Tasmania. Uh, so, you know, I loved everything about Scotland, the history, the whiskey, the golf. And, and I said to Greg in 2009, I said, you know what? I think I want to open a craft distillery like you did in Tasmania. And, and I didn't, I didn't know anything about actually making the product, So I said to him, would, would you be all right if I came to Tasmania and, and, and spent some time with, um, at, at, at your distillery as well as today, what would be considered some really renowned distilleries in Tasmania at the time, they're relatively unknown. So I, I, I went to Tasmania, I spent two months there and, and, and came back basically um, with, with a, a, a reasonable understanding of, of distilling and at least enough um, confidence and belief that I could do it to, to get started and I think maybe that was more important than anything. And I know in Greg's podcast, he kind of referred to young entrepreneurship, and that really rang a bell with me. I think he's so right about that. You know, taking risks in, in, in your 20s is, is, is a lot different than later in life. So I took that risk. I somehow convinced myself that I could do it. And I look back on it now, 11 years later, and I think, my God, what were you thinking? You know, I, I just... I I look back and I think, you know, how, how did that even happen? And how did it work? (laughs) And, uh, I, I think in some ways, you know, just taking that risk is half the battle and, and being committed to it. Um, I know my, my dad is a conservative banker. You you kind of reference that. and, And he, I think I'm more cut out of the cloth of his dad, who is also named bill, who was a pretty significant risk taker and, and entrepreneur. And so I, I kind of took this, this, this risk and found this great old building in in three Oaks, Michigan, we knew we wouldn't have old whiskey when we opened on day one. Uh, but I figured, well, it would be cool to have an old building uh, that kind of looked like an old distillery and, and maybe even if people didn't like the distilled spirits we were making, maybe they would want to come see the old building. So I guess the building was a hedge in a way. And, and so as luck would have it, it seems like I've been lucky in life. Uh, I was driving down the main street in Three Oaks and my eyes got real big. And I said, this is one of the coolest towns I've ever seen. And uh, this would be a great place for a distillery. But do they have an old factory building? Well, I, I went, you know, the, the main street's very short. I t- took a left by the post office um, and, and lo and behold, right before my eyes was this great big old factory building uh, uh, and, and, and there was a for sale sign on, on a section of it and, and one thing led to another and we, we were able to, to buy this, this uh, section of the building and we started renovations on it and, and in 2011,
0: we opened to the public. Now were you hunting for property at that time? Was were you on that search, driving up the coast of the, you know, yeah, Lake much, Michigan?
1: Much like Tasmania, America was starting to change laws state by state. And originally uh the plan was to open journeyman in, in northwest Indiana. I grew up in Valparaiso, Indiana, and you know, it was naturally I thought, well, let's let's open it in kind of my hometown market, if you will. And uh, quickly found out that, uh, craft distilling was not permitted in Indiana when I first got started. And, and then, uh, fortunately Michigan was just right there. It was just a few miles down the road. Uh, and so that's when I kind of shifted gears away from Indiana and and came into Michigan, uh, later on in Indiana, they, they would eventually change the laws kind of based on the, uh, on what happened with us. know saying look there's there's good people that want to open businesses in indiana and 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 journeyman was an example used as to why indiana should change the laws for craft distilling of course that that now happened probably five six seven years ago um so you know as as luck would have it we ended up in three oaks uh it's been a great town and a great thing uh, i think for us and the town. And and this uh, craft distilling in, in 2012 kind of started to take off. I, when we opened Journeyman in, in 2010, uh, there were less than 250 distilleries in the United States. The current number, I, I hear, varying numbers between two and three thousand today. So it's it's you know it's basically grown tenfold plus over those over that time frame. And and you know we're 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 really proud of what we've created here, and I think the goal is to build a, a brand for the generations and and hopefully, you know, I'll be able to maybe realize I won't know it, but hopefully I'll be able to realize, you know, the idea of a multi-generational business, kind of the idea that that my dad wanted to see and and that that we'll be able to create that with Journeyman.
0: I, I love that in in uh I saw it somewhere where yeah you guys are creating a multi-generational hundred year brand you know and and over a decade in already and it feels that way when you're there you know it just has that timelessness to it and uh i I wanted to ask you about your your business partner and and your wife she seems she seems to be a a big factor in all this and uh and and (sighs) you know passing that on to the children what does it mean to have the whole family involved
1: well i mean i can't say enough about joanna i mean she's um Uh, not only incredibly supportive about that vision, uh, she's instrumental in, in having helped create it. Um, You know, she, she had a lot of experience in the hospitality industry more than I did. And, and some of, of the best she worked, uh, she spent uh, nearly a decade in hotels, working uh, for the Four Seasons and, and the Ritz in Chicago. And, I mean, you know, those are some of the best places in the world and, and, and she's, she's brought that understanding and ex, expertise, uh, and frankly has brought a component and, and sophistication to our business that I, that I didn't have when it came to hospitality. Uh, so she's, she's played a significant role in, in, in the restaurant, but also, um, you know, maybe even a bigger role in, in, um, the events business that we do and, and, and we've, we've probably won, um, best wedding venue in Michigan, um, two of the last four years. And I always tell people, you know, proudly of, of Joanna's success in, in that, in that, uh, arena, you know, those things don't happen by accident. And, and I think it shows the hard work, uh, that she's put into it and, and our team, uh, and, and the people that care for our customers here. And, uh, you know, it, it it, it results in, in winning awards. And uh, so we're, you know, she, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of have the idea of uh, building a brand for a hundred years because it, what you're really saying is we're going to sacrifice a lot. And, and you know, we're, we're, we're always going to, um, you know, put a significant amount of, of, of the proceeds back into the business to grow it and make it better. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, honestly wouldn't share that vision and, and, and would say, well, you know, what about us today? Uh, and it's not like, you know, it's not a sad story or something. It's not like we're, you know, living on the streets or something like that. Just, uh, you know, oftentimes people, um, their visions change if, if, there's success and, and, and I think, uh, we've continued to stay on that path. And I think, um, Joanna and I's commitment to that is, has been has been real, and and it's been a, a wonderful partnership in in that respect.
0: As a, that, that's something I respect greatly, and I think it's something uh, customers truly do feel. You know, when you, yeah. when you're um, the authentic experience that comes with it. Uh, was was Joanna b- uh, bought in on Welter's folly when you first pitched it?
1: I I think most people thought now, now you you mentioned the idea of going to Scotland or opening a distillery. Certainly people thought that was uh, crazy, but I, I think, um, I think that might take the cake when, when I said, we're going to, we're going to build a a 30,000 square foot putting. green. (laughs) Even saying it sounds a a bit comical, but, um, and, and frankly, I I seriously doubt that we would have done it had, Craig Halton, not been one of my, you know, very best longtime friends. And, and I think I was able to actually convince Craig, uh, to, to do it after, um, you know, feeding him, uh, too many last feather rye whiskeys. And, and I didn't, you know, have a document that he signed or something, but I, I, I held him to it and it didn't, I think Craig would say it didn't really take a lot of arm twisting. I, he, he's one of the most creative guys I've ever met. Um, and, and one of the best and loyal friends, uh, someone could find. And I, I think, I think, I know that Craig and and I feel the same way about him, but, um, yeah, I think we've both, I, as, as a high school kid, I definitely pushed him along, um, in in golf and 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 competitive golf uh and and I know he feels like he's benefited greatly from that and likewise I feel like I've learned a hell of a lot from him in in the golf world so it's been a really great mutual benef- beneficial relationship but um you know we we decided to call the putting green welters folly and a lot of people you know I, I, I as with everything we do I'm always worrying about it whether it'll go well or whether it will be a success or not. And, and I said to Craig, you know, um, one of the great American stories I think is that of George Crump, who um, was a, a, a great businessman and a and, uh, great lover. Of the, yeah. Yeah. And hotels and, and, and great lover of, of the game of golf. And I guess the story goes, he was traveling between Philadelphia and 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 Atlantic City uh, on the train line, and, and got off on a stop near pine, where Pine Valley is today, and found these you know pine barrens, and 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 um, decided to embark on building a, a golf course. Uh, and and I think people quite quickly realized it was an amazing golf site, and some of the world's great architects showed up to work with. George on the project, um, I know that there are tremendous strains and struggles with building Pine Valley, including challenges of actually building, uh, growing grass on the sand there and, and, and Crump, uh, um, you know, people, I guess, belittled his efforts and, and referred, uh, the press referred to Pine Valley as Crump's folly because it was failing. And, um, and, and Crump didn't actually make it all the way. He, he, he died, uh, uh, during that process and, and never actually saw Pine Valley fully realized. Uh, but so, so we decided to call, um, our putting green welters folly as as a tribute to George Crump and Pine Valley. And, and, and obviously the end of the story with George Crump is that he built, um, uh, America's greatest golf course. And, uh, so, um, more of kind of a, a nod to him and, and what he created and, and, and another truly special place in, in American golf. And, um, likewise, the, the green is, um, it's about a third of the size of the Himalayan putting green in St. Andrews that was built in the 1850s, um, as a public putting course. And so it has those same huge kind of undulations, as you know, and, and it's just, it's kind of like putt-putt golf from the 1850s where there's no windmills or, or, or whatever. It's just crazy giant mounds that you have to putt around. And, and it's, it's also at the same time, a nod to, to George Crump and Pine Valley, but also a nod to, to, obviously the St. Andrews and the Himalayan putting course. And, and so our, like, like St. Andrews, ours is open to the public obviously. And, and ours is actually free for, for, Kids uh, with the idea that you know golf has been great to Craig and I, um, and I think the idea there was that we wanted to to get kids you know to put their iPads down, um, to get outside, uh, to to run around on the green, to putt, and and wouldn't it I guess wouldn't it be a wild story if someday some some kid comes out of Three Oaks and 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 grew up putting on the on the green and behind our distillery and ends up doing something great golf. Uh, and and I think that's really the idea behind growing the game and and getting people, uh kids, you know, back out. And, and thankfully over the last you know few a couple of years here, golf's booming and and people want to be on the green. So it's it's it's
0: exciting. Well first the, the quality of it you know, I, yeah, uh, we really care about it. <laughs> it's, yeah. You guys take care of it. And it's, um, you know, I've, I've seen some good ones. Obviously I've been to the one in St. Andrews, the, the inspiration yeah. for it. I've played the one, uh, at the punch bowl out in Bandon. I've, I've played the one that they just built at sweetens this last year. And yeah. I got just my opinion. I think you're, you're, what you guys build is probably the best putting course I've played in the U S and that's why. Yeah, well, thanks that's why when i when i I saw it i go i gotta meet this guy (laughs) because this is insane um did uh any revisions from craig's story on this podcast about building it i I remember the foundation was maybe a little spotty the the site picked.
1: (laughs) yeah no i mean this is definitely not a usga spec green but i think in some ways it goes to show you and um And, you know, I've heard about greens in Scotland having been built on cemeteries. Actually, there's some story that the 18th green in St. Andrews is built on a cemetery. So, um, you know, I think in some ways it goes to show you, you don't need the greatest site in the world, perhaps. But um, yeah, as as Craig, uh, as we found out, there was an old building back there that had been demolished. And basically they just had spread out the bricks across, you know, this expanse of, of where we were looking to put the green. Uh, so Craig gets an excavator out there and he's digging and like, you know, almost like the first dig and into the ground, he's pulling up bricks and, and we weren't going to, we weren't going to clean the site or anything. We just left the bricks there. Um, he ended up putting, you know, shaping it, you know, top soil um you know probably eight inches of sand on top and then kind of just shaping and building the thing but i mean as as you said i mean it's in great shape uh the grass i know the root system there you know people come out and and check it out you would get all kinds of people that are interested and the the root system's incredibly deep and healthy uh it's just like it's built on an old building foundation
0: (laughs) just goes to show man just goes to show yeah um, I wanted to ask you also about, uh, the site of our summer medal. So you guys are, are coming with us. You're going to be up in sand Valley and Lasonia yeah. for our, uh, our kind of summer fixture, which is this year headed, headed to those venues. Um, and, and journeyman fits in just perfectly with these sites because like, you know, these are the places that when they, when the Kaisers brought Lynx golf to Wisconsin, Um, I was familiar with the dunes club. I knew there's sand dunes down there, but Mm -hmm. I was so skeptical of what was awaiting me in, in Wisconsin. I go, what are these guys doing? Like, why would they take it away from the coast? They, they, you know, these, Mm -hmm. this just seems too close to me. Even, you know, if I can get there in four hours, I don't feel like that's the journey enough. You know, I need to fly. I need a plane. I need, and, and I've never been more blown away. I think from where my expectations were to what I, what uh, I saw in the middle of Wisconsin, you have a relationship with, with that site, probably through Craig and some others from the early days. So what was your first opinion of, of San Valley when, when you went? Yeah. I
1: mean, I, you know, Craig was looking to build a golf course of his own. Uh, and, and I think, you know, I think he, he would say, obviously the, the timing wasn't great, uh, Craig had, had found this amazing site where where San Valley is today. And, and, um, and, and he was very confident that it could be an amazing golf course uh, or, or, or more than one, you know, the time, I think it was 2008 or nine and, and, you know, the financial crisis uh, was in full blown, you know, the great, great recession. Uh, and, and Craig uh, initially, you know, was trying to get that project off the ground as, as, uh, on his own. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I'm still, uh, waiting and, and I know it, it's, it's coming, but the, the first fully, uh, design and architect golf course by Craig Halton is, is going to be amazing. And, and I can't wait to see that. It, it's going to happen. Uh, and, and right now he's so busy with building the world's greatest golf courses, uh, that, that, that he, that he hasn't fully designed one, um, himself, but I, I know, I know that that vision will, will be realized and and can't wait to see it. Um, but uh, long story short, uh, you know, Craig said, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. We're, we're not going to get the, the funding together. And, and, um, I have been fortunate enough to, to travel up to that site, you know, two or three different times with him and, And uh, I mean, one occasion I remember well, where um, we were, it was John and I and and Craig and his wife, and he had a, you know, four wheel drive pickup and he's, he's, he's driving us up this giant sand dune, which is today the site of Craig's porch. And, and he, he gets this thing buried, you know, halfway up the dune and, and, and his his wife is you know not not happy about it because I, I I think that's more I think he buried that truck more than once so we I I, I was I'm probably the only guy to help push a pickup truck out of Craig's porch <laughs> maybe not um, but I, you know I think I've been fortunate in life to come across both. Greg Ramsey and Craig Halton and, and, and I think, you know, two guys that are, are visionaries and, and, and as creative as, as they can come and, and, and determined as hell and and have done great things in golf. Um, and, and certainly sand Valley, um, Craig was able to, to realize, you know, those golf courses, you know, obviously through that, that, um, uh, relationship with, with the Kaisers that was really facilitated through Greg Ramsey because Greg had worked with Mike senior on the, on the project at Palm and had built those relationships. So I, I think, you know, the story is almost in some ways, the, the, uh, seven degrees of Greg Ramsey and, and how he's touched so many people, uh, around the world and, and how he's been kind of in the middle of a lot of these projects, but. Um, you know, it's a special place for me to go sand Valley. I I love it up there. Uh, the golf is amazing. Um, the events that you guys put on are, are equally amazing at, at amazing sites. And I'm pleased to be able to join you guys and, and, and maybe we can get Craig, uh, to, to, to join us. And you've never met a more humble guy. Well, I'll, I'll go, you know, and play golf with him and and, and, and people ask him what he does or whatever. And he's like, Oh, I build, I build golf courses. And then, and then, you know, one thing leads to another and, and, you know, I I'm usually the one that's kind of like his promoter and, and then people are like, no way you're Craig from Craig's porch. You know, it's like, I love that place. And, 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 you know, it's just, it's exciting to see um, his success, but, I, at the same time, you've never met a more mild-mannered, humble guy in your life.
0: You know, it's um, it, by all modern standards, success is, is uh, defined with a lot of dollars and, and certain things. But when you hear um, these friends of yours that we're talking about, talk about uh, their life in golf and their entrepreneurial pursuits. And it, um, I think it's the truest form of success where people that are really fulfilled in their work. They, they, uh, employ people. They, they make a lot of people happy with what they do. And I just want to be, I want to be clear because I've had those other guys on, on the pod and you've said a lot of nice things about them, but, um, they, they look at you the same way, Bill, and the things that you've been able to achieve and the things that you've motivated and inspired them to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just think I, what I love about having all you guys on this show is, um, you know, for the rest of us listening, we should be looking out for those people that challenge us, look out for those people that, you know, make us question things and push us. Um, yeah. Cause that's, that's what it's about.
1: Yeah. I've been, like I said, very lucky in golf. And I think it's just, you know, kind of been um, a byproduct of just getting out there and meeting people and, 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 you know, people knowing you love the game and, and, and those people. You know, I think everybody's drawn to each other when you have a passion for the game and, and love it. So, uh, I think uh, I'm happy to hear those guys had a few th- nice things to say about me.
0: So I'll I'll have to uh, I'll, I'll have to reach out to those boys. Well, you know, when we when we build a paywall, well, maybe we'll have like a rated R version. And you guys can tell me the real stories <laughs> about your one year as yeah. 22 year old <laughs> in St. Andrews. Uh, everyone keeps I all of you kind of quietly say it was a college town. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Um, Yeah. Well, I, I I can tell
1: you one thing when, when we were there and like I said, I didn't even know it was a college town. And then, and then next thing you know, Prince William was uh, coming to St. Andrews and I think Greg kind of referenced this, but uh, all of a sudden um, the influx of, of of beautiful college girls skyrocketed while, while we were there and with the anticipation of his arrival, but the, the downside to that was um you know certainly they had their eyes set on on one guy and he happened to be the the
0: prince of england
1: <laughs> hey, <laughs> so dream everything else looks uh, a little bit less
0: aim high aim high. You know, who knows you could have been the uh <laughs> the prince of valparaiso you know people don't yeah,
1: know. yeah i should have pulled that off <laughs> i needed your assistance matt
0: <laughs> uh, sounds like
1: you're a good wingman
0: that's the thing that's what I was up to there I, I was there I remember his last year so I missed you guys by about four years it sounds four or five years it sounds because uh, Prince William was there the last year that I was there yeah and, uh, I went to I actually went to a party right next to uh to his flat and yeah uh, oh cool I thought I thought we'd you know have a, a budding bromance I was thinking he'd you know hey let's play some let's play some golf you could have been a good wingman for him. Oh yeah, he needed me. Kate, Kate he, he did okay. He did okay. With Kate. Um, before we jump to uh, the nineteenth soul, so I don't know if you're you're familiar with what we do here. I've adapted thirty-five questions from uh, Marcel Proust, who's a French novelist who was always, who was trying to, with his questions, get to the soul of the individual. We're not doing that. We're trying to get to the soul of the golfer, which are closely related. Um, so I got eighteen questions for you before we before we do that. Uh, a lot of scotch and whiskey aficionados listen to the pod. Um, if you check out our food and Bev channel, guys are going back and forth on what they're sampling and all this stuff. So what are some distilling secrets, Bill? Can you give us some insight to your guys process, the craftsmen and women at journey?
1: I think it's a lot like putting, honestly, it's low, low and slow. You know, you distill slow, uh, um, and you, um, you know, you take your time with it. You don't rush it. You, um, in, in distilling it, there's a term called cuts. You make good cuts. Uh, and that's, that's basically just the way of saying that you're taking the best parts of the whiskey and, and it's a, it's a focus on quality. Uh, so I mean, um, I think for us, another, another big thing about our brand is that we use a lot of wheat, our whiskey, uh, wheat grain, uh, So when I, when I first got started and, and, and back in 2009, I spent some time going down to Buffalo trace distillery, which is owned by Sazerac. And, and, um, I just really loved their American whiskeys and, and the, the common theme. And at the time, no one, frankly, I don't think anyone really thought much of it, but they were using a lot of wheat. Uh, and so Pappy Van Winkle is a, a heavily weeded bourbon and, uh, you know, I just saw timeline. this is this is a a, a great you know uh, model if you will and and I love the whiskey so so we did use a lot of wheat in our whiskey um, and actually we make a a hundred percent wheat whiskey called corsets whips and whiskey, which actually tells the story of the the building which is an old corset and buggy whip and then um, of course we're making making whiskey here now and and that's a a great hundred percent whiskey. Uh, 100% wheat whiskey. That's that's won a lot of accolades, and and I think is is one of our best,
0: and tell tells the story. You guys got some really good ones. Uh, I always seem to go with the Silver Cross because of the contribution to the golf world. Yeah, um, and I like telling that story myself when I'm sipping it. Uh, yeah. If you don't know, they give 1% of all their sales to, uh, to, to golf, uh, charities, the, 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 yeah. I think the caddy programs and the first, first and T Evan scholars, yeah. Evan scholars. So um, some others. So, so Hey, tr- drink for a cause is a, a good thing. And, um, yeah, I, I think w- one thing I was also really impressed with bill about your guys, whole process, obviously the pandemic threw a wrench in a whole bunch of different things for everybody out there, but, um, you know, you guys uh, were making hand sanitizers. So
1: tell me we a little did. about that. The hand sanitizer was, frankly, um, at the time, you know, and I was just reflecting on this yesterday, um, you know, when the pandemic hit, you know, my first thought was, you know, gosh, darn it. I knew this was too good to be true. Like something was going to happen, you know, and, and, and how could it, how on earth could a pandemic happen, you know? i just thought this is this is just um you know hard to believe and and then you know almost immediately there was a shortage of hand sanitizer and and you know i don't think the 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 government's known to act swiftly but in this case they did and and they allowed for craft distillers to make hand sanitizer and i guess Thankfully, we made the decision here to, to, to really go after it. And it, looking back on it now, you know, I know, one, it gave us a purpose. Our business had just been shut down, you know, it gave us a focus. And in some ways, you know, even a greater meaning uh, in that, you know, we felt like we were making a difference. You know, people needed hand sanitizer in hospitals and, and health care and so on and so forth. And, and we gave away um, a lot of hand sanitizer but we also did sell uh, a fair amount as well and that 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 was you know no one knew about you know ppp or, or how long we were to be closed or any of this stuff and and the hand sanitizer ended up being kind of a a lifeline a short-term lifeline it really only lasted about three to four weeks yeah. before before you know pure and some of the the big Goji and some of those guys had it back up and running and in full supply, but, um, it was a wild three or four weeks. And, and I was thankful to have that chance to do it. And I still think our hand sanitizer is the
0: best. It is. <laughs> I, I, I think it smells the best. I think it, um, my wife saw it somewhere. She's a nurse and she saw it somewhere. And she goes, isn't that journeyman? The the guys over in new Buffalo. I go, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Well, good for, I mean, kudos to you guys. So let's get to your last segment here, Bill. It's the 19th Soul. Uh, these are intended to be quick answer. So a lot of them could be deep and philosophical. We, we, we don't need to go there. You know, just first thing from your, from your head, whatever comes off your intuition, let it rip. Bill Welter. Are you ready? I'm ready. First T. Here we go. When were you the happiest as a golfer?
1: Well, the first thought this came into my mind, um, um, making a, a 15 footer on the last hole of sectionals uh, and shooting 30 on the back nine and, and setting the, the local sectional record. Um, and, and, you know, I suppose I, I've had greater successes in golf than that, but that was the first thing that popped into my mind. I know I remember my mom standing kind of off the 18th hole there and, and uh, probably a memory that I'll, stick with me for a long time. What was the course? It was Forest Park, a little public course in Valparaiso, Indiana, where I grew up as our home course. And, and, um, you know, we had a great team. And um, I think we ended up finishing eighth in in the state that year. And I think I finished third individually. But um, it was certainly uh, some of the funnest times that I've ever had playing golf was
0: with that high school golf team. Number two, what's the scariest shot in golf?
1: You know, I was watching that women's, uh, I think it was, was it the U S open just a couple of weeks ago in California and, and the, the, the one female golfer, I'm drawing a blank on her name, had about a 50 yard bunker shot on the final hole of the third round. And I said to the guys that I was with, I'm like, could there be a more scary shot And, and, and there was OB long and, and she, um, so I, I'd I'd say it's that 50 yard bunker shot with OB over the green (laughs) and and unfortunately for her, and she's one of the best women golfers. She, she hit it out of bounds and and that was sad, but it's what, what shot's harder than that. (laughs)
0: Number three, what is your go-to order at the halfway house?
1: Um, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've had that, um, funny burger dog at Olympic club. That was pretty, pretty sweet. I, I had a chance to go to, uh, uh, what's the, uh, the golf course in Colorado. Um, they have like a famous milkshake. Uh, I, I'll never turn down a milkshake, um, these days, I've kind of been on a diet. I've been trying to lose a few pounds, so probably a Gatorade Zero and off to the tenth. <laughs>
0: uh, oh, was, uh,
1: Castle Pines has the, oh, the Castle Pines Yeah, yeah.
0: Number four. What is the trait you most deplore in your golf game? God, I
1: think I've just gotten scared. I've, I've. Uh, it's so I have to say my mental game. I think you know, uh, it's that fear of. Of, of losing, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I feel like, you know, confidence and courage kind of go hand in hand or, or, or courage and then confidence. I'm not sure, but um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think I used to practice a lot. I used to be a big practicer and, and I think that's what gave me confidence because I'd put the work in. So I knew when I was on the course, you know, I can hit this shot because I've hit it, you know, a hundred times this, uh, this past week or whatever. Uh, now today, I, you know, it's yeah. I'm lucky to get a warm up in because I'm always running 20 minutes behind. And then you get to the first tee and you, you know, block one into the weeds and make double on the first hole and you're like, oh, jeez. And and so I, I, I you know, I, I,
0: it's it's practice. Just gotta, you gotta practice. Hey, Jordan <laughs> Spieth got it back. I'm sure you know.
1: Uh, yeah, you, you can't. I, do. I, I have a good golf game inside of me. I just, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to find the time. You know, every year it's the same thing. I'm gonna dedicate an hour a day to to to, to practicing, and and that would do it. But, but also, I think the thing is, you, you gotta play competitively. You you gotta play in your state am qualifiers. You gotta play in uh, local, uh, events, uh, it, those, those types of things, you know, kind of, you know, give you that strength and confidence to, to do well. Uh, if you're just playing and kind of like you're, you know, and there, there's nothing wrong with this. And that's, that's where I am living right now that, you know, there's not a lot of pressure in playing with your buddies on Wednesday. Uh, yeah. and so when it comes down to it, if you haven't been, you know, training really,
0: uh, it's, it's sometimes hard to perform well. There's golf and then there's competitive golf. That's right. Number five. What is the quality you most look for in a playing partner? Um, someone who plays fast. Good
1: answer. (laughs) Uh, I don't care. I don't care. if They shoot 150. (laughs) Like if they're keeping up, like that's Bill that's July, it.
0: and we're not messing around with this. July is pace of play awareness month. So thank you for I that answer. That. Yeah. Uh, number six, what is the trait you most deplore in other golfers?
1: Um, whew, that's a tough one. Uh,
0: um,
1: I don't know. I, I really don't. I mean, I, I guess there isn't anything that I just deplore. I mean, I, I love ethics and integrity and honesty on the golf course, I suppose, you know, it's, it's somebody who, you know, doesn't display something similar. right? um, I, you know, I mean, you, you it, it, it's hard to, to, to say one thing or another. It's just, you know, you, you, you like playing with people who respect the game and, 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 and I think have similar morals and ethics when it comes to golf.
0: That's number one and uh, should be in more, in most people's books. Number seven, what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course? <laughs>
1: four left. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, things I can't say on this podcast, four letter words, uh, you know, um, most of them are said inside my head. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are times, I should say, I'm pretty self-deprecating, but, you know, there are honestly a lot of times where I get a sense and a feeling of like, I'm going to make this, like this ball is going in the hole. Um, yeah. I, 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 played with my buddy the other day and, and, and uh, we, we uh, actually it was, uh, he, it's the same Ben say he's a, he's a member of Cow club. I went out to visit him. Very fortunate to do that and we played with two other members and it was the four of us and um, ben was on the other team my partner and i were down three with four to go and i did my best ben crenshaw i've got a feeling on on uh on 15. lo and behold we run off three consecutive holes to tie it and we go to 18 and, and Ben hits a miraculous chip to like a foot on that par floor. He's long, right? You've, you've seen it. You've been there. And, and he, he hits a f- amazing flop shot to a foot I'm back, right and the pins kind of middle, it's probably 40 feet. And, um, and, and, and Ben's partner basically says to Ben, well, you know, great job. We got him before I putted and Ben says, no, I've seen this guy do some crazy shit. <laughs> and, um, this putt downhill, super fast, 40 foot or probably broke six feet. I I hit this thing and I'm, you know, walking like I'm freaking Tiger Woods with my club in the air and the damn thing goes in the hole and everyone erupts. Like I, like we just won the masters or something. And, and it, made it that much better that Ben had said to this guy like I've seen some crazy stuff come out of out of this guy before and the freaking thing goes in the hole and I think it's something you know that's what's so great about golf is like you know average guys who who just show up on a Tuesday or whatever at at a golf course feel like they're Tiger Woods and and just for that moment it didn't mean a thing no one would ever remember it but 100 that's what's great about the game
0: and that's why you play match play too because that really produces those moments you know if you were yeah just, said, if you if you were posting your you know 85 or whatever that day and you just yeah. walked, you walked up to it and just whacked it but you had a putt yeah to win.
1: yeah we had a fun match going it was competitive you know we had that banner back and forth and, and we had tied it up and, and we mm-hmm. walked off halved, then everyone was happy
0: i love that story number eight what golfing talent would you most want to have
1: you know, I mean, uh, I'm I'm not a very big guy. Uh, never really hit it very far. So you know, you're always envious of those guys who are belting it out there, uh, three hundred plus yards. I had to, I had to, to to make my way in competitive golf through a um, hundred yards and in and and you know, hitting the ball close and getting up and down all the time and making putts. But I suppose you know, who who wouldn't want uh have, who, who wouldn't want to be Tiger Woods when he was, you know, 19 years old and just, you know, ripping 330-yard uh, drives? And, 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 yeah, I mean, I suppose as, as a shorter hitter, that was always something that you were envious of.
0: Number nine, what is your most treasured golf possession? Gosh, I, I mean, I've saved, like, practically every damn
1: scorecard for the last 30 years, I think, in shoeboxes. I never actually look at them, but I, for some reason, I'm always compelled to keep them. Um, so I guess I have quite a collection of old scorecards. Um, now, now that I think about it and mention Tiger Woods, I do have an old, so he and I are the same age, and I have an old AGA, AJGA um, score sheet, uh, not a score sheet, a pairing sheet with times, and I played in, in either the group in front of him or behind him. I always thought, you know, so, so it says, and Joel Kreibel was in my group. So it's Tiger, I just Tiger and Ted o and one other guy. And then it was Joel Kreibel, myself, and another guy. And I always thought someday I might, you know, ask him to sign that. Uh, I, I don't know how I would ever actually run into that situation. And I wouldn't want to send it to him just for fear that it would be lost forever. But, I I suppose that's, that's one of the the things my dad has some old newspaper clippings of, of his golf actually. Um, and, and those are things that I would, I would want to keep, but for me, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess those are a few things.
0: That's cool. Number 10, making the turn. What's the one thing in your golf bag you should throw out? I keep my bag super light. I've been trying to walk this year. Um,
1: Tried to to walk just about every round. Um, so I guess everything but the number of golf balls you need, a few tees and a glove for me. And I have my rangefinder. But um yeah, I just I try and keep it as, as light as possible.
0: Minimalist. Good stuff. Yeah. Number eleven, what is your favorite occupation at the golf course? Um, in terms of jobs that I've worked. Jobs that you've either worked or jobs that you just uh appreciate.
1: Um, I mean, who doesn't like the bartender at the golf course, right? That was your buddy, buddy Greg's
0: first response. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I like the the person that's handing out the journey of whiskey, but, um, I mean, I'm appreciative of of all the guys and especially the ones that are hoofing the bags around. I've caddied in my life for my dad, but also uh, worked as a caddy at King's Barnes for a while when I was living there and, Man, it's for me again, not as a very big person. It's it's tough to get around. I mean, it's hard work. Uh I admire those guys who who can who can do that. But I'll stick with the bartender though.
0: This next one you, you alluded to, but I don't know if you, you haven't asked for it yet. Number twelve. Have you ever asked another golfer for their autograph? For their what? I'm sorry. Uh, for their autograph.
1: I yeah, I know I have. Um as a kid. You know, I think I went to like the Kemper open a couple times and, in in Chicago and, um, and, you know, but I, honestly the one, like it, it was not golf. It was golf related. I, I played in some tournament in Georgia as a kid. I think I was 14 years old and my, my, and we had um, the golf course that we were at as a private club and, it was kind of remote. My dad and I, I don't think we knew where to go get dinner or whatever. And the, we went to the course and they're like, yeah, you can eat here, but you got to eat in the locker room. And we're like, Oh, that's fine. So someone comes in and, and my dad claims he could hear his voice, but um, my dad was a huge baseball fan as a kid. And, and, and the guy comes in and goes, Hey, you know, Mickey Mantle's out in the, in the uh, dining room. And and my dad says he he remembers like you know, hearing that voice. So um, you know, out of out of respect, we um, we waited in the lobby for probably forty five minutes. Uh, and and my dad introduced me to Mickey Mantle, and and he said, "Bill, this is this is Mickey Mantle." And I said, to "My dad, are you sure?" Because he he ended up dying a year later. He was very you know hunched over and and very old and 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 you know had a lot of years of a lot of tough years, but um, you know, I was probably in my mind envisioning like this athlete. And, and so I went up and I shook Mickey Mantle's hand and um, I asked him for his autograph. And, and I know I've heard stories that at times he could be quite surly, but I can tell you that he was extremely generous. And we actually talked for a while. And um, I know Mickey Mantle's wife, thanked my dad for us waiting up top and, 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 it it was probably a a bigger deal for my dad in some ways. Uh, But, you know, that golf landed me in Mickey Mantle's, uh, you know, presence. Uh, And, and so I had a chance to to
0: meet him and got, and I got his autograph. Wow. That's cool. Really cool. Number 13, what historical golf figure do you most relate to?
1: I mean, I love Bobby Jones. I mean, um, the fact that he remained an amateur, um, that, that he won the Grand Slam, um, that uh, his affinity for St. Andrews, uh, you know, creating one of the world's great golf clubs and, and golf courses. Uh, I mean, you know, he, he kind of lived like the, the greatest golf life. Uh, and, and I mean, obviously, he suffered illness in his later years, but um, I think you know what what an amazing story
0: number 14 what is your greatest golf regret um i
1: always wanted to play in a us amateur and uh you know really actually because i wanted to play in the british amateur and and at, at, at least at the time when i was playing a lot of golf i um i um, you, if you qualify for the us am you're automatically qualified for the british and I really would just wanted to play in the British ham. I mean, I did want to play in the U S am of course, but, um, I, I came close a couple times and that was kind of one of my big life goals that I won't, I won't put it out there. That'll it never happen, but, um, it, it would take a lot for it to happen now. Uh, but I, I came close a couple times. I tried, you know, I'd try and pick sites and courses that I thought I could play. So one year I went to Iowa and played Glen Oaks and I played really well I think I shot like 143 and you know Mike McCoy who's one of America's great amateurs and Gene Elliott were both at that site and I think they were taking two or three and and I think I finished first or second alternate And, and Gene and Mike qualified and then there's you know probably some you know Iowa state, Iowa kid or something, but, you know, I got close a couple of times and, you know, it, it, it was a blast and it's fun to be in the hunt. Um, and, and you know, who knows,
0: maybe that'll happen. Hey, the do what I did. Okay. The, my goal was always just, it started with the amateur. Then it went to just, I just want any USGA championship and lo and behold, yeah. the USGA for guys like me that were constant close calls, they gave me a partner. So sign up oh, for nice. the four ball. I can't yeah, stress I this enough. Find yourself a good partner. You only have to play half the holes well. It's, it's beautiful. It's so smart. And and that is how I finally checked my my USJ championship. And now, now I I set a new goal. I want to like you, I want to play in an individual national championship. Yeah. I've never thought about just making a different nation. I'll just, yeah, go, yeah. I'll just go, go play in the
1: Australian one
0: or the <laughs> Turkey. I don't know. I'll just go to it. Yeah. Yeah. Country.
1: Turkey might be more to, uh, at my level.
0: <laughs> uh, number 15. What is your favorite golf book or movie?
1: Um, you know, I love golf in the kingdom. Um, you know, it kind of has that fantasy component to it. Uh, and, 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 You know, I read it while I was in St. Andrews. So that was, that was special. Um, You know, I've, I've read a lot of, a lot of different books right now. I'm reading um, Crump, Crump's dream. uh, And and that's um, a a book about George Crump uh, and and building Pine Valley. But um, yeah, I mean uh, Bobby Jones, as I mentioned, has been, been a favorite. So there's some, some great, great stuff on him and, uh, but yeah. I suppose, you know, it all goes back to St. Andrews for me.
0: Yeah. Number 16, the here we come down the finish. What is your f- least favorite hole in golf? This is always I a hate, tough answer for folks. I hate
1: Florida water holes, like where there's water on both sides of every hole. Um, those never went that well for me. <laughs> <laughs> My least favorite hole. Um, I mean, there isn't really one jumping out at me, but, um, yeah, just, <laughs> I like links golf. Get, get rid of the water. I don't want to see it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, <I'm with> the- <laughs>
1: My ball finds it. <laughs>
0: uh, number 17. We're going to have some fun with this at the end of the season, but if you had one song to listen to either on the golf course or on your way to the golf course for the rest of your life, <laughs> what one song is it?
1: Um, let's see you know as a kid um I was a huge U2 fan like I remember um you know probably as like a 10 year old or something listening to um uh you know hearing uh Bono and, and U2 on the radio and just seeing, wow I really like that it was kind of the first um first band I fell in love with but, but uh, in college, you know, I got into to Dave Matthews when they first came out, and still try and I've taken our daughter Isla to to a few concerts. And uh, right now, I think my favorite song that I've been listening to from Dave is is "Lie in Our Graves." And it's kind of this song that tells the story of like almost seize the day. Like, why would we lie lie in our graves when we've we when we got when we have things that we can. You know, dream about or 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 achieve. So that's, I'll, I'll go with "Lie in Our Graves" by Dave Matthews.
0: Wow, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to that as soon as we get off. Uh, yeah, it's great. And, and our final question for you, Bill, if you had a motto, maybe you do, what would it be? Oof,
1: a motto. Um, good Lord, this is a tough one. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I don't know that we have a motto, but here at Journeyman, um, we like to believe that um, that the brand and the atmosphere and, and the people that work here um, have a lot of, we we like to use the term grit and, and determination. Um, you know, it's it's this idea that, you uh, um, I think the, the journeyman ideal that, that life throws a lot of curveballs at you, um, a lot of, a lot of good things happen, a lot of, um, you know, challenges. And, and, and I think that, that, that idea that, that you'll persevere and that there's, you know, that you'll be tough and, and push through is, is kind of that, that journeyman ideal that, that we're gonna, we're gonna fight our way through this. And, and great things can be accomplished behind that grit and determination that, that's required to do it.
0: Well, it has been quite a journey this last hour. Thank you so much for coming Thank on and f- f- uh, finalizing our trifecta of these guys that all met each other in, in St. Andrew, Scotland. So. Um, uh, we're looking forward to seeing you and being at, uh, we'll, we'll, see journeyman up at sand Valley for our, uh, our welcome dinner and, and, uh, the sandbox, uh, opening round that we're going to have in, in July. And then, uh, we'll be back for our club championship dinner you know, for Chicago's club championship with you guys.
1: Yeah, no, I, I can't thank you enough for allowing me to spend some time with you this morning, Matt. And, uh, let's, uh, let's
0: get out and play some golf. And for anybody who thought like, man, this place sounds cool. And Welter's valley sounds cool. Get your ass in the app, book a match, win some points and get yourself to the club championship. Come on, let's go. That's right. <laughs> get out and play more golf. Yeah, just play more golf. Bill, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks, Matt. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, we're at New Club Golf. This episode was produced by Mark Callwell with research assistance by Jim Satar. The backdrop is supported by members of New Club Golf Society and our official partners, Journeyman Distillery is the official partner of this year's summer medal at Sand Valley and Lasonia. Golf and whiskey go together like well, the perfect twosome. My favorite is their silver cross. It's a name that hails from the medal given out at the early days of the British Open. This medal would later come to symbolize friendship, tradition, camaraderie, and spirited competition. In that same spirit, Journeyman has created a tradition they call Four Grains for Golf, donating 1% of all sales from Silver Cross whiskey back to the various golf charities and organizations that teach kids the game of golf. It instills in them its core values. Kids play free on Welter Folley's 30,000 square foot real grass putting green. Not kidding. It's huge modeled after Himalaya's putting course in St. Andrews, Scotland. Journeyman has been distilling artisan spirits for a decade in their historic feather bone factory located in the one stoplight town of three Oaks, Michigan. They are grain to bottle produce certified organic kosher and gluten-free award-winning whiskeys. And you can check out their full portfolio of spirits at journeymandistillery.com. back.